Hi everyone, it's The Freelancer Show. This is Petra Manos, the panelist today. Today I'm the only panelist, but I am here with Paul Edwards. How are you going, Paul? Petra, thanks. I'm doing great. It's uh, so nice to be here and thanks for having me. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Thank you. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your business, Paul, and what you do? I'm a uh, executive ghostwriter. And so what I do basically is I'm in the business of becoming you on paper or on a screen, as the case may be, in words. I like to tell people I do two things well, relationships with people and then getting their words out in a way that's interesting and engaging and flows nicely to read. And when you are a busy executive, thought leader, entrepreneur, or a business owner who doesn't really have the time to generate all that content that you know you need to be generating, that's where I'm able to bridge the gap and make that happen for you. That's really interesting, actually. I just jotted that down, becoming you. I really like that phrase because that's something that it's, I think it's overlooked how difficult that really is to find someone who can sound like you when they write. I tried Mm -hmm. that a few times. I tried hiring someone who could sound like me and it was a dismal failure. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about expanding relational capital. But before we do that, I'm really interested to know a little bit about how you do sound like the person that you're writing for. How do you manage to put on that persona or use their voice when you're writing? That's an incredible skill. I want to say some of it is innate, Petra. And, And the only reason I say that, I'm not talking about like I'm super gifted, but it is a gift that ever since I was young, uh, I found it in- incredibly easy to be a mimic. And some people have this and other people don't, right? And so all my life, I've entertained family, friends, my buddies in the military, my you know people that I know, people I know in business up to this day by doing impressions of them, of the way they speak. I never thought of it as a marketable skill until I got into ghostwriting and I realized that one of the cardinal rules that most people don't follow when they write things, and this is why their written communication is so poor, is they don't take the time to read what they've written back to themselves aloud. Well, I learned that in communication school. I learned whenever you write an essay, a press release, email, whatever you're writing, you never send it before you read it back to yourself because your ears process the words differently than your eyes do. And so I found that I could mix the two together. I said, oh, wait a minute. I can imitate the voice and I can read aloud to myself because that's just a discipline that I learned when I was in communication school. And so very quickly, I found myself, luckily, the first client I had is a gentleman by the name of Aaron Walker, and he's my mentor and he has a mastermind here in the States um, uh, that uh, Chuck Wood and I are both part of. And he has a really thick Southern Tennessee drawl. So I would write content and then I'd say to myself, okay, I know I like to use a lot of, uh, you know, high level vocabulary words and Aaron is not illiterate. He understands what those words mean, but in his day-to-day conversation, does he use them? Probably not. And so I would read it back to myself and I'd say, okay, I got to take that word out because that's that's a Paul Edwards word, not an Aaron Walker word. And the longer I did it and the more I 
thought to myself and, and did the impression while I was reading it back to myself. You know, I think that uh, one of the problems we have is, you know, he, I, I could hear him speaking and then I was like, okay, that sounds like what he would say, but this part over here, I need to change. And so as I've done that with other clients, right, I hear your Australian accent there. And uh, one of my clients is an Australian CEO. And so when I write in his voice, I've got to be careful to say, okay, I don't want to pepper this with Americanisms, right? Because his audience is Australian. The people that he wants me helping him to communicate with are Australian. And so I've, there's obviously the difference in the spellings of certain words like color, right? We, we omit the U and, and Aussies don't. But there's also just a flow to the way they speak. And there's, there's a different slang and there's a different uh, way that, that they present their thoughts than Americans do. And so I just listen for that. I get used to the way people speak really quickly. And that's probably the, the gift at play. But I, I hear how he speaks. And then I say, okay, once I've written this, would he say this? Right? Would that, would that, and I can imitate the accent so I can read it to myself and say, yeah, that sounds, that sounds Aussie enough. They might have to make a few tweaks here and there, but that's not American jargon, you know, attempted to be put, attempted to put American jargon in front of an Aussie audience. So. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of a, an answer there. Yeah, that's really great. I love that actually. And I think that was my mistake when I tried hiring someone to do it because I just picked someone on Upwork who seemed to have the credibility. I made the mistake of picking someone from Britain, which wouldn't be a mistake if I was in Britain, except for the fact that everything he wrote made me sound like John Cleese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, my goodness, I would never use those words. Like you're saying, it's not like someone is illiterate, but there are certain words that are used by people in some countries and words that are not, it never really occurred to me because I'm like, oh, it's all English, right? So um, it, it, didn't, it didn't occur to me that people write or speak differently in other countries until you actually read it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually do exactly what you're saying there about reading back your own blog posts. I do read it back, but although I don't read it back out loud, I do read it back in my head. But when I'm kind of reading it in my head, I'm saying it out loud in my head, if that makes sense. But um, I might actually start reading them out loud in like for real out loud now since you've suggested that because I think that's a really good tip. Uh, on that as well, I've noticed that uh, these days, so you, you can say Basically, you can say what it is that you want to write down and then you can upload that. Or let's say you do it on a video. You can then upload that to Facebook and Facebook will transcribe it for you if you turn on the caption transcribing tool. And so it can actually turn it into a transcription and then you can take the transcription, put it back down on your blog and tweak it. And it actually is a transcription of something that you said rather than starting from the written word. And that can feel a bit more natural. Although in my case, because I've got an Australian accent, it botches some of my words, but it's still pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's 80%. Um, I've started doing the same with my phone as well because I've got dictation mode on my, my Apple. Mm-hmm. And um, again, it's about 80%. But it's interesting. I've started walking the dog and writing my blog posts while I'm walking the dog. I'm like dictating them. And that's working quite well. I'm able to just edit it afterwards rather than having to sit down and write. Anyway, that's that's a a little bit different from the topic we were going to talk about with the relational capital. But I thought that was incredible. The fact that you could make something sound like someone else. That's a a really good skill to have. Yeah, I spent years wondering, why do I have this gift? 
why do I have this this unique ability to imitate voices? Because I'm not a, I I I I I suppose I could try it, but I'm not a stand up comedian, and that's a very impoverished life until you actually become one of the successful. You you basically earn nothing. At least it is here, and uh, I just uh, so I, I wasn't going to go that route, and I didn't know what to do with it. But anyway, yeah, it's 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 come in tremendously useful. And a couple things you mentioned there, not not to belabor this because I know we got a topic to yeah, get no, to. Yeah, no, good. What you're doing there is extremely wise. When you have that stuff in your head, audio dictating it is a great way. So like if I work with a client who wants a book written and they don't have a, a manuscript or anything like that, I'll say, well, what we could do is we could do a, a, a sequence of, you know, one to two hour interviews where you dictate what's in your head and we record it. And then I will take that and turn it into, you know, a, a, a 35 to 50,000 word book that you can then get out there and get published and start getting some publicity and you know, and, and racking up the clients that you want to get from it. So it's a, that's a marvelous tool to do it. And, you know, you mentioned uh, hiring people on Upwork, and I, I think those are fantastic places for freelancers. The only thing I would say is uh, the advantage there, obviously, is the prices are, are normally quite uh, reasonable. But as you mentioned, all of the context is stripped away. So what I use Fiverr and Upwork for is stuff that most anybody in graphic design or keyword research and stuff like that, most anybody can do it. But when I want something that's very specific, tailored to me, I don't. But my clients, when they, when they want something that's very specific and tailored to them, the, the, the higher price stuff gives them that additional foundation for their content. So anyway, there you go. I've learned my lesson on that one now. I didn't realize that it was a higher level skill. I, I just assumed that a writer would know how to use someone else's language. But it, it didn't occur to me that that was something that was special until I experienced it for myself and realized that no, they actually don't. So let's, let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about this relational capital topic because I think this is actually a really exciting topic. So we're going to be talking about connecting and building relationships with executives, influencers, and entrepreneurs now, these three groups are quite different groups of people. Is there, is there one of those three that you'd like to cover off first? As you can see, my book and my show are called Influencer Networking Secrets. And the, the, thing, the thing that took me a long time to verbalize this, it was actually right in front of me for a long time, but I never, I didn't, oddly enough for a ghostwriter, I didn't have words for it. <laughs> so um, I realized it's the secrets of how influencers network. And it's the secrets of networking with influencers. What I'm trying to get people to see here is it's a shift from direct sales to indirect sales so that you are out there actively doing marketing. It's not like sitting back and resting on your laurels, but you're not marketing yourself. Well, you are, but you're not pushing yourself on people. You're letting somebody else push you on the person in front of you. Somebody else who loves you and raves about you and thinks you're you just or, or, or a, a gift to them with the service you provide does the selling because that is much, that's much different than you, you know, pushing it out there yourself. There's a, a, a line in the ancient wisdom that I, that I love, which is uh, let another praise you and not your own lips. And that's essentially what it's saying is the way to a true, successful, enduring business relationship usually comes when you were recommended by somebody who knows the person that you sell to and influences them. 
Now, in the modern context, we have this whole thing online of influencers, right? And they're essentially using the same principle as people who are very, very popular and followed by thousands or millions of people have the ability to move product off shelves. Great model. Reminds me a lot of broad, the old days of broadcast media when they did the same thing. That I don't really travel in that lane too much. But where I do travel is in people who have the ability to recognize what I'm up to when I do it for them and reciprocate it. That's, that's just their way of doing it. In other words, I, I look for people who are very similar to me and I curate those people. And, I, and those are the people that I target with you know, 90% of my energy for, for what I do for outbound marketing. And so I would say the influencers, that's just a little bit of a unique category compared to executives. Every industry's got executives, entrepreneurs, every industry's got those business owners. Yeah, that's that's those are much more generic terms. They've been around a lot longer, but influencer has really come into the last in, in the last 10 to 15 years as something a little bit different because they they aren't necessarily tied to any one industry and they don't, you know, they they're not operating according to conventional direct sales models. They're not they're not pushing a product all the time, but they do move it right? By virtue of the fact that they're associated with it. I don't know. Am I answering the question there? Well, is that giving you a, a good picture? Or? Yeah, I think actually I started off with a misunderstanding that executives, influencers, and entrepreneurs are actually three really different categories. But I guess what you explained is really executives, influencers, and entrepreneurs are all people. So there's a people-to-people relationship that we're working out first before we ever get into separate categories. Now, I've connected with executives and entrepreneurs. I haven't connected with influencers in any kind of campaign or anything like that. But the way that I connected with executives and entrepreneurs were quite different. But rather than go into that now, which because I probably completely jumped the gun there because I I guess I misunderstood that, that really we are talking about human to human. So before we start talking about different categories of how you would connect with someone differently, let's let's change tack on that and go into what things do people want in their relationships that you can provide? What kind of value can you provide to someone that makes someone want to have you in their circle? Excellent question. This is the, uh, in many ways, this is a very difficult thing to answer until you understand it, and, there, and then it's very easy. Some of some of the the level at which they're playing comes into it. A brand new self, you know, solopreneur has a different list of needs than someone running a Fortune 500 company as their director of operations or or CEO. But the one thing that doesn't change is no human being has every ability, every resource, every connection, every opportunity that they could possibly need or want. In fact, most of them, even operating at the highest, see, when you operate at, the, at those upper echelons of business, you have access to a lot more. But now, you, you know, it's, it's as challenging to know which one of them to choose as it ever was at the entry level, just trying to get one to pay attention to you, right? And what I found is that... Uh, as long as you as long as you know how to speak to people at every level more often than not it's not about knowing what they need it's about knowing how to get them to tell you what they need so as an example um in my book 
I tell people there's there's three questions that I've used on high-ranking executives and celebrity politicians and people who are very influential on the internet globally. There's there's three basic questions that I've used on people at playing at that level, and I've used them on people here in, in my hometown at a local chamber networking group, and they always work. And what I do is I, 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 I look at people, no matter what position they're playing, no matter what position they occupy, I'm looking at them as a living, breathing story instead of just a clump of cells, right? Just the person standing in front of me. So to me, like when I, when I meet you, I'm like, this person has a past, this person has a present, and this person has a future. And when I, and, and as long as that's true, if I inquire about them three-dimensionally, sooner or later, they're going to tell me something where they're lacking or they feel deficient or they don't feel up to, they, they feel like they need help. And that's when my giant Rolodex of connections in the back of my head begins to kick into high gear. So there's a process to this. But once you get in the habit of asking these questions, you know, that, that's, that's kind of step one. If, if you have enough time in advance of meeting someone, if you know you're going to meet them, you can go even deeper than that. You can actually do research and, and start to sort of triangulate it a little bit and say, okay, of all the things I could say to this person that I could possibly want their help in moving the needle on, what's the most, what's the thing that is most likely to get them to respond, right? And I, I might be getting a little bit in the, in, lost in the weeds here. I hope I'm not going too deep, but, uh, but really, and it's, it's, it's people, it's executive, entrepreneur, influencer, doesn't matter. If you know, if you understand human nature, then sooner or later, you can learn the language that breaks that code, that, that, that is that code and unlocks and makes the space for them to tell you what their pain points are. And if you have a big enough Rolodex behind you, a big enough network that you can bring to bear on it, you can help them solve problems. And that's what creates the reciprocity. So is your primary method of helping people then to share a resource, usually in introducing them to someone else? That's a big part of it. Yep. In my elevator speech, my elevator pitch, right? I say, I'm connecting you either with pre-qualified prospects or connections or opportunities. I'm going to bring you, if I'm going to bring you a potential client, you're going to have a very simple conversation with that person to determine, is this the right fit? Yes, they are. Okay, then let's get started. If I'm going to introduce you to somebody you want to know, it's because before you met me, you were already had it in your head. I want to know somebody like this. I really wish I could be on this person's show. I really wish I could, I could meet that person. And if it's an opportunity, you know, if it's a, an event that's going on, uh, a private networking function that, you know, isn't broadcast the world, and there's somebody there that you want to meet, chances are, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the one, you know, this is, I'm not saying this to brag, but this is what's happened for me, right? I've been the one to invite somebody to an event where they got to meet somebody that doesn't go around to all the regular events. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was a special connection. It was a special sidestepping all of the gatekeepers and all of that and getting them right in front of the person they wanted to know. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess you'd be considered a connector. There are people who are not really connected types. They're a bit more, they keep to themselves and maybe don't really gather that Rolodex. But uh, having a connector in your group of people that you know is really fantastic and you being the connector I can imagine how that does help you in return when all these people who you've helped out by connecting them to others then come back to remember what you do and uh, remember you as a person and also refer back to you so I can see how that would be really valuable oh yeah (laughs) 
uh, something that was going through my head was how can you introduce yourself to somebody if you haven't been introduced to them already? You were talking a lot about in-person networking events, but this is something where, where I find that I can run into trouble because let's say there's someone I want to meet in there in US. Unless I jump on an airplane and work out where they're going, a show or something, I'm very unlikely to meet that person in person. So I need to find a way to reach out to them in an online way. But that can come out sometimes as spammy or creepy. They've got no idea who I am. I just won't get a response. Usually the easiest way for someone to deal with a connection request out of the blue is to ignore it. So how can you get the attention of someone that you want to speak to in the first place? Well, the first thing I would say is, and in fact, I'll give you an example of, I'll give you a twofold example here, because people ask a question like that of me fairly often. First, you know, I, I totally get what you're talking about there, that it can seem creepy or pushy or salesy to just, you know, send someone a friend request. And these days, to be quite honest with you, if I get a, a friend request from somebody who has no mutual friends with me, and they don't send a note, I, I, I don't accept it, because I don't want a bunch of people to pretend to be friends with i'd rather be real friends with you right so especially the, when you start getting the foreign names yeah. I, I i i sometimes get if i'm if i'm posting on a popular group on facebook for example all of a sudden mm -hmm. i get a whole lot of names now a friend of mine request told me about an automated tool that automatically accepts people as a friend and i, <laughs> I made the mistake of actually she was telling you about the tool in the Facebook group. So all these people knew that we're talking about installing this tool. So then within a day, I had 300 foreign names that I had no connection with other than this one person yep. all connect with me and um, started sending me almost dating requests in a way. It oh, was yeah. uh, horrible. So then I had to work out how to remove all of these people which took so much of my time so I said to her I'm not going to be using any automated tools ever again I'm going to be screening people quite clearly <laughs> but anyway sorry no. I'll cut you off please no um, that's please continue excellent with what you were saying excellent point I went on a friend purge last year because I had over 2,000 people as Facebook friends and probably over 2,000 LinkedIn connections and I'm like I don't know who these people are I never talked to them they never talked to me why why should I be connected with them? I said goodbye to them. There was no animosity, right? I wasn't angry or, you know, well, you know, good luck to you. I was just like, look, if, if, if you love, if you love someone, set them free. And if they love you, they'll come back, right? <laughs> sort of a perverse way of using that expression. But, but I don't, uh, I don't accept those requests if they don't include a note to say, Hey, um, here's the reason I'm, I'm requesting to be friends with you. And when I request to be friends or connections with somebody and because i've heard them on a podcast or seen them somewhere or heard about them or been referred to them i always include a note the only time i send a blind blank friend request is when i already know the person and i'm just like oh we're not connected on on social media so that's one part of it but i'm gonna i'm gonna suggest one other thing here now so this is a, a key influencer networking tactic meaning how to network with people who are influential so I had, last year I had Rabbi Daniel Lappin on my podcast and a very famous Jewish rabbi. They call him America's rabbi. He, you know, 
normally when he's getting interviewed, he's sitting in front of Fox News TV personalities and audiences of millions and millions of people. And then he's here he is on my show and people are like, what is he doing on there? <laughs> right. Well, I discovered his content and began to devour it and binge on it. And I still do to this day. And what I discovered in that process was that he was actually quite accessible. I just sent him a note to say, hey, I really appreciate your content. And I wanted to, I sent him this picture. I'd been practicing some Hebrew words and all that. And he wrote back and he said, that looks great. Great job. Fantastic. You're, you're learning. Well, it wasn't long after that, I discovered he had a Facebook group where he sometimes interacts with members of his audience. So I joined that group and I made friends inside it. And, you know, I, I kept, I, I would send him emails and feedback on his content and ask questions about Hebrew and all that. It's, it's a huge part of my faith. Another thing that happened was I began to make friends with people who knew him better than I did. And one of the people that I made friends with, we were talking back and forth. I said, I said, Hey, you know, what, what do you think of the chances of this? You, you think rabbi would be willing to give me an interview on my podcast? And they said, I think he would, if you ask. So then I jokingly said, well, I'm going to tell him it was your idea, right? Just with a smiley face and all that. And they wrote back and said, ha, 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 go ahead. Tell him it was my idea. So I sent an email saying so-and-so suggested I invite you on my podcast and wanted to see if you'd be willing. And he wrote back and said, I'd love to. And so the next thing you know, I get this internationally recognized Orthodox Jewish rabbi celebrity on my podcast. All that starts by telling somebody playing at that level, I like what you write. I like what you said. I remember a point and focus in on it. I loved that where you said this point. This helped me understand. This worked when I applied it. This thing that you told me to do three years ago and I only got around to doing till now just worked the day I tried it. They want to hear that. They want to hear that they're having an impact and they're having influence and People are benefiting from what they teach and what they and what they espouse. If you if you continually do that and you're not trying to get anything from them, you're not sales pitching them. You're just uh, giving honest feedback. Over time, opportunities like that will creep up if you continue. Especially if you learn to value the people in their inner circle, just like I did. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington, from the Food Fight show, and we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight show, where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Yeah, I was hearing the same message as you were saying that 
the first thing that you said essentially was that you complimented them in the way or told them that you were grateful for them. And that attitude of gratitude is a nice one to hold when someone's put so much time and effort into becoming who they are now, knowing that you're actually grateful for them rather than just wanting to take from them. I think that's really important. I'm glad that you reiterated that because I think that's a really important message to get back. And I think we can all be more grateful to the people that we're around. Even if the person that we're wanting to connect with is someone who's not an international celebrity, we can Mm -hmm. still be grateful for them, especially if there's something that we're wanting from them. We should be grateful for the fact that that person exists in the first place and find something to be grateful for if you're not sure yet what you can start with. I think that's a fantastic way of connecting with someone. And then you went in to describe how you can become more influential with somebody by connecting with the people that they also connect with. And I think that's really interesting because that's it's indirect. It's not going straight for the jugular, but it makes you one of their peers, doesn't it? It kind of puts you more on their level if you're friends with their friends. So I think that's fantastic. Is is that, um, we were talking before about that, we're, we're just talking about people here. We're, we're not talking about executives, influencers and entrepreneurs being different, but essentially does that, if I call that a system, if I call that like a one, two system of connecting with someone, does that work with people in all different areas or is it, does it work more effectively with people that have groups like that or can it be used really anyway? Well, I would say um, at turns. So it's, it's highly subjective in other words, right? And it's contextual and circumstantial. What I mean by that is there are people that I know who previously at one point in their life, the best thing you could have brought them was a bunch of uh, leads to call, right? People who needed what they, what they do. And now they don't so much need that. They need higher level connections, right? That's why I go back to those three questions and go back to being a, um, a detective. And or I, I, I call it be a scout, be a publicist and be a therapist. And therapist is, is the one here. When you know how to treat somebody like a living, breathing story, you're focusing on what everybody else fails to see in a networking scenario. So most people at a networking scenario are like, hi, my name is, what do you do, right? And that's the that's about as far as they go. And I don't come at it that way. I, you know, yes, hi, my name is Paul Edwards. Nice to meet you. And, uh, and um, you know, let them get a, a few little niceties all up front. And then at some point, I, I sense the time is right. And I say, well, tell me, tell me what's going really well for you right now. You know what, and and the implication of that is over the last couple of weeks, what what's where have I been succeeding? Where where is life really moving forward, and I'm feeling good, right? That's the past part of it. After they answer that, I'll say, well, what about what's what about what's not going so well? What's what's the hardest part of being you right now? That's focusing on their present, right? Biggest struggle, biggest challenge, biggest uh, thorn in their side, whatever. And that one's golden because that I've had people talk for hours about that man, let me tell you what my problem is. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be asked that question, right? <laughs> Especially if they're, if they're being asked by somebody who can suddenly throw several different solutions their way that they haven't thought of. And as an example of this, I recently had got, got connected with a friend of mine in New York and we had a, a one-on-one over Zoom. And um, I asked him that question and he said, you know, life is going really well for me right now. 
I'm on this mission to sell a million copies of my book. And he said, I think probably the, the hardest part right now is that I need to get on as many podcasts as I can. And I just don't have time to do all that. That's a lot of work. And I said, what do you have right now? I mean, do you use like a booking agency or somebody to help get you on podcasts? He's like, no, I hadn't thought about that because I don't really know anybody who does it. And then he looked at me and he said, do you know someone who does it? <laughs> and I said, do I know someone who does it? Man, I know tons of people who do it. You know, I probed a little bit further and I found out I knew somebody in, in his same city, in New York City. I mean, that's a pretty big area, but still, I knew someone in New York who did it. And I said, why don't we start there and you see if you like this person. And 24 hours later, I got an email from her saying, thank you so much for sending so-and-so along. I signed up and we're going to start booking him right away. So what people are after is not always, um, how can I make more money right away? Sometimes what they're after is, how can I get my marketing moving so I can, make the, I can meet the kind of goals that I'm really after? That's the hardest part. Because again, each human being has things that they do really well and also things that they don't know how to do at all or don't have time to do. So as long as you understand that about each person you meet, you can always be an asset to them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I used to be a member of BNI and we were taught to ask these types of questions as well because at BNI we were uh, we needed to promote our fellow BNI members. I, I found that over time it didn't work so well for me personally just because my target audience is e-commerce businesses and um, my local BNR group didn't really have a lot of connection with e-commerce owners. So it, it didn't turn out to be the best connection for me. But um, when it came to connecting with local businesses, it was fantastic because we did learn how to connect with people in the way that you've described here. Uh, having that Rolodex of people that you're describing where you can actually help someone, it helps me to this day. I, I still have people all the time asking me for a referral and I make sure that all of the different categories of people that I might be asked for a referral for, I make sure that I've always got at least one, if not more than one, that I can refer them to because I'll think about, is this person likely to gel with that person as well? So if you've only got one, then if you're not sure that that person's going to gel well, then it might not be the, the best referral. Mm -hmm. But I found that as part of building my own credibility with people, if I come across as the go-to resource for them, then that also builds me up too because they know that I've got good quality people in my network. Those good quality people, as long as I refer someone that's great quality, those good quality people tend to, uh, you know, people tend to spend time with people that are similar to them in ways. So mm -hmm. they would consider me to be high quality as well if I'm referring high quality people to them. So, that, I mean, that's what I've found. But if someone asks me for a referral, I know that they've appreciated working with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, yep. certainly if we're in a, you know, face-to-face -face meeting situation like that, if you can pass on a referral, it's fantastic. So if but yeah, no, that's a, it's, it's the, the tool that you're saying, I think it's one of these skills that it's a life skill. I don't think it's just a networking group skill. I, I do believe it's a life skill. Absolutely. As a, as a practical example, I shared this on a different show I was on yesterday. This summer, my 11 and nine-year-old sons came to me and said, uh, we want to buy these video games or these toys or whatever they wanted. And uh, they know that neither me nor their mother is going to do that, right? 
where they know are the rules in the house are you 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 don't get an allowance you make your own money so they said to me how can we make money i said well you see that thing out there called a lawnmower in the garage and they said yeah i said push that lawnmower down the street and knock on every door and volunteer to cut that neighbor's grass for free don't ask for money just say we're cut we're we're going around and we want to volunteer to cut your lawn if if you'd like for us to do it and they came back with 75 bucks and that is what i was what i was referring to there i said you can you can be flat broke and you can still be very very generous because they didn't have any money now they had a father who had a lawnmower yes but they didn't have what they really wanted which was spending cash they didn't have any way of you know going and printing a bunch of flyers and saying hey we'll come cut your grass for 20 bucks they just went out and did it for free they used what they did have because we're all a lot wealthier than we realize in doing that after they'd done it a few times then they started a dog walking business i didn't even tell them to do that they came up with it on their own now they come home with 5 bucks each a day from walking dogs <laughs> and so you know i i pulled them aside one night and i said why do you think those adults are paying you every time you show up to walk the dogs or cut the grass and they said cuz we walk the dogs or cut the grass i said no 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 they can do that themselves they're they're not irresponsible lazy you know, layabouts who don't do anything. They they get out and cut their grass and walk their dogs. What what is it you're communicating to them when you do this? And they kind of stared blankly, as you would expect an 11, nine-year-old boy to do. And I said, let me tell you what you did. You placed a value on their time, energy, health, excitement. Not everybody's excited to cut the grass, right? Not everybody wants to walk their dogs for the fifth time in three days or however many days since we're all on lockdown. So when two boys, neighborhood boys come by and say, we'll do it for free, that pleases them. You're putting a value on them, on what's important to them. And that's what triggers the reciprocity. That's why they gave you money. Because you said, your time, your health, your bad back, your, uh, your burnout, whatever, that's important to us. We value it enough to, be set to say, we will do it for you for free. And that adult's heart can only respond by saying, no, you're not doing it for free. Here's five bucks. Here's 10 bucks, whatever they gave them. Yeah, that's a really interesting example, actually, because could have backfired on your kids. They could have ended up mowing everybody's lawn and not earned anything from that. And in a way, if you're actually being generous, you need to accept if that ends up being the outcome. Mm -hmm. But you as the wise parent had a sneaking suspicion that they would probably end up earning some money from it anyway. But did your children have... Did, did they actually initially resent the fact that you were asking them to suggest that they would do it for free? Were they wanting to ask for money straight up? I mean, I'm sure that's probably what they would have thought to do. Number one, you know, kids don't have the degree of experience that adults do. And so they're still kind of confused about this. So when I told them you offer to do it for free, they kind of looked at me a little bit, well, why would we do it? for free. We're not going to get paid. I said, no, you are. It's going to happen at some point. It might not happen from the one you think it's going to happen, but it is going to happen. I've done it so many times now. It's not an accident, right? I have sat there in my office, filling out paperwork and writing content for a nonprofit that I don't get paid to be on the board for, that I donate my personal money to. And all I get out of it is fun and games, but and helping people and feeling good about myself. But I don't get paid a dime from that. 
I'm not doing any marketing when I'm, when I'm doing this. I'm not calling anybody. I'm not paying for Facebook advertising. I don't, I don't have any TV ads. I don't have any radio ads, nothing. I'm sitting there writing content for a nonprofit and my phone rings. This is back when I was in the insurance business. My phone rings. I pick it up. Paul Edwards. Oh, hi. I was referred to you by so-and-so and uh, I need help with my insurance. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for calling. And I said, those two, those two are not coincidence. They're connected. It's, it, it, it's, we, we, we see we're, we're so focused on the visible, right? Where's the cash in hand? No, the cash is out there. You just have to look after another one of God's children and he will move it in your direction, but he might not move it in the, in your direction from the person that you're helping. He'll move it from somebody else you never saw coming. It might be as well in the example of the lawnmower that you might end up mowing 10 for free. And then the 11th one was the one that gave you $75 and they well rather than just five, they well and truly overcompensated. So it can, it can happen like that too. And I think what you just described there is relevant. Pay attention if you are starting a new freelance business, because if you actually do your craft with real people that can refer you, even if you're not being well paid at the beginning, or even if you're not being paid at all, Preferably if you're going to be not paid at all, you'd be working for someone that actually has connections. So you you know, might hopefully get some referrals down the line, but you might as well be doing your craft and getting referrals than sitting around twiddling your thumbs, creating business cards or flyers, or just randomly blogging about things that you haven't actually done in a business or just being on social media. Like actually doing the work and getting real referrals and real testimonials, I think is a hundred times more valuable. Would you agree with that, Paul? You're basically describing the transition I went through. Up until January of this year, I was trying to start a business and I didn't even know what my offer was. But I was on social media and I was writing blogs. Admittedly, I wasn't writing blogs about stuff I'd never done, but I was writing blogs. But I didn't know what the, I didn't, I didn't bother to look in and say, what is the market actually asking for? Are they banging on my door asking to hear me speak my wisdom every day? No, they don't know who I am. Then Aaron came along, my mentor that I told you about. So he came on my podcast for a second time. And by that time, I had introduced him to so many people. He, After we got done, he said to me, you need to let me do something for you. You've introduced me to all these people. You've never asked for a thing. You need to let me do something for you. Or, and I'm not getting off until you do. I, well, I, you know, by that time, I was like, I, I don't know what to ask for. Aaron, my business is, it, it doesn't even begin to, to, it has zero gas in the tank. I don't know what to, what to do to make it move. So we talked further and, and he said, well, what's a skill that you have that someone like me could use? And I said, well, I've been a gifted writer my whole life. I suppose I could try that. And he said, I could use that. I need, I need content. I, I need to get my blogs going on clockwork. I, I have to do all these Alexa briefs and I physically don't have the time to do it. So we said, well, let's give it a try. You know, we'll just try it out. And, uh, if, if, you, if you, you know, if I like it and you like it, then we'll, we'll take it to the next level. So for the first, for the first little while I was working for free, I was pretty much creating free content for him. And, um, about six weeks into it, uh, several people who knew him well began to notice that he was cranking out a, two blogs every week and 20 Alexa briefs a month. And, you know, he was just and all these snippets and memes and all this stuff. And, and they're like, yeah, no, you're not that you don't have that little to do. <laughs> 
you're 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 far too busy to do all this so what's going on and he told them and that's all of a sudden when hands began to raise up and say i need help with that and i'm willing to pay for it and the clock ticked into january 2020 and i had a business i went from 0 to 60 in 2 weeks right because of because of being generous upfront with the right people just like you said yeah i think that's a really powerful story and it's a good one to finish on before we go to picks actually but I think that's fantastic because you did start off with the generosity. You picked well the type of person that you would be generous with. Certainly, if someone's been in business for a long time, you wouldn't expect them to be working for free. Mm -hmm. But by that stage, they've already got contacts that are providing them with referrals. Or if they've run out of referrals, they've at least got testimonials and proof of their work. So then when they're actually sharing what they can do, they've got real proof behind them. When you're first starting out, getting that social proof and just getting your work in people's hands, I think is so important. So that's a fantastic story. I love that story. Have you thought about learning to do native iOS development? Are you using Swift at work? Or maybe you've considered writing applications for macOS. We have a podcast that covers all of that called iFreaks. We have a new panel and a lot of exciting things to talk about. So come check us out at ifreakshow.com. Why don't we transition to picks? Do you have a pick this week that you'd like to talk about, Paul? Yeah, this, uh, this book's Super Connector. The authors are uh, Scott Gerber and Ryan Paw, P-A-U-G-H. I'm not sure how he pronounces it. Paw or Pow, I'm not sure. I have not read this book in a while, but um, it just offers a ton of good anecdotes, stories, and, and they also do a really good job of explaining it conceptually. And uh, actually, one other one that I would mention, the, the way I heard about Super Connector was from uh, Jason Gaynard, G-A-I-G-N-A-R-D. Uh, and he is the author of Mastermind Dinners. And so he is a super connector. He is a guy who has built a fortune and a massive business off of connecting incredible people with other incredible people. And uh, if you listen to his podcast, if you read Mastermind Dinners, and if you read Super Connector, you're just gonna you're gonna come across so many useful bits of wisdom that very often they're right in front of us. But until we begin to orient ourselves this way, you know, it's it's easy to miss them or overlook them. And so those are two of the best resources that I can recommend for anybody to learn who really wants to learn how to network build relationships, build relational capital, and cause cause the needle to move mainly through the, the people that you surround yourself with. Well, that's I'm excited because I haven't read either of those books. So now I've got another couple of good books on my reading list. I've, um, I've found a link for the Mastermind Dinners one as well. So both of those links are going to be in the show notes. And they look like fantastic books. Thank you so much for recommending those. Pleasure. So for my pick this week, I've got one that's a little bit different and I'm sorry if you're not in Australia. I checked the shipping and it's only for Australia and New Zealand, but I'm sure you've got similar products in US, no doubt. Um, so one of my clients sells these, uh, they're acrylic pens. So they're like Sharpies, but they produce acrylic paint. So they're paint pens. And uh, when I connected with this client I was really excited because here in Adelaide where I live there's a bit of a trend going on where people especially children will paint rocks and then leave them in the creek so other children discover the rock 
and it usually says on the back, go hide it somewhere. So we'll be out at the park and we'll find a rock that's been painted by someone. It's so delightful. It'll be hidden in a little spot and then um, that person's expected to take the rock and take it somewhere else in the state and, and hide it somewhere for another kid to find. So, um, so I purchased these acrylic pens and got plenty of rocks where I live. So we've been painting rocks and hiding them around the place as well. And that's such a fun thing to do. And also it's something that can be done inside when you're in lockdown as well, because painting things can easily be done indoors. And if you're allowed to go outside to exercise, then why not hide a rock while you're at it? It's really nice. So, um, so my client, her website is at um, lifeofcolorproducts.com, but she's an um, Australian-based business. But I've put the link in there. But by all means, find yourself some acrylic paint pens. They're super fun to use. Alrighty. Well, I think we're actually done. This has been a great chat, Paul. Thank you so much for all of those tips about connecting with people. I, I think everything that you've shared has been incredibly valuable. So thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure, Petrus. Uh, so good to talk to you. So good to be with the audience and uh, wishing all the best to freelancers. Remember, no matter how good you are at your skill, sell yourself first. Fantastic. Good tip. Good thing to end with. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.